Well, good morning, 9 a.m. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Fantastic, fantastic. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us. We've been in this series called Habits of Happiness over the last couple of weeks. If you guys want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, uh, we've been in this study of the book of Philippians. We're going to be hanging out in Philippians chapter 4, so you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you can look in your worship guide. If you didn't grab one of those, you can run out and grab one, or you can just pay attention to the screen. All the notes will be on there. And so we've been talking about the idea that like God isn't really after our happiness. What he really wants for us to experience in life is joy. And so this series has been kind of a bait and switch. We said, hey, we're going to give you the, the habits of happiness. And really, there is no habit to being happy unless you can control everything in life. And I, I think that most of us have found out that that doesn't really work very well. When we try to control everything, it doesn't really happen. And so if we live our lives based on happiness, we're going to live on this emotional roller coaster of the ups and the downs of life. Because how many of y'all know that there is a lot of ups and downs in life? There's not a lot of predictable behavior and predictable circumstances that happen in life. And so if we're basing our life based on our circumstances, our happiness factor is going to be jacked up all the time. But we've been talking about the fact that God wants us to truly be full of joy. And that joy isn't found in something, but it's found in someone. It's found in a relationship with Jesus. And in that relationship, we can find the strength that we need to have joy no matter what the situation is in our life. That's why we've been looking at, and it says this in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. It says, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It says, man, the joy that comes from God will strengthen you in times. So when life's difficulties happen, you can be strengthened in the midst of those things by this joy that comes completely through God. And the goal for this whole series is for us to realize that we can have never-ending joy in our lives. And we've been looking at the Apostle Paul. He wrote this book uh, of Philippians to the church in Philippi. This was a church that he planted, that he loved. And he's writing to them, and he's reminding them that they need to be joyful no matter what the circumstances of life are. And what are the keys and what are the secrets to living a joy-filled life, even in the midst of your circumstances? Because his circumstances are not great. Even though he says rejoice and have joy and be joyful over 16 times, Paul is actually sitting in a prison in Rome, chained to a Roman centurion, awaiting his execution. And the church in Philippi had heard this, and you would guess that when they heard this, I mean, they were completely discouraged. I mean, if you heard the person that had helped you find Christ is now getting ready to be executed for their faith, you would probably be pretty discouraged about your faith. And so this is his opportunity to encourage them. And so he starts chapter 4 the same way he started all the other chapters. In verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's like he's reminding them. He's like, hey, listen, listen, I'm going to save the best for last here. And I want to remind you to rejoice in the Lord. And, and I'm going to tell you again, just in case you didn't get it the 487 other times I've said this already. I want you to rejoice again. I want you to get this principle. And he's just encouraging them to rejoice. Because they're dealing with the same problem 
that we are dealing with in our society today. And they were dealing with the stress and the anxieties of life. Anybody else out there ever experienced some stress and anxiety? A couple of us, uh, some of us have, have experienced more this week than others. Some of us have experienced more this morning than others. And, and I started thinking about stress and anxiety, and I started thinking about the things that we worry about, and I made a quick little list of all the things that give us anxiety in life. And really, I figured out it's the past, it's the present, and it's the future that give us anxiety, isn't it? It's, it's pretty simple. The past, the present, and the future, it always gives us anxiety. And what's interesting is that we get really, really anxious and stressed out about our past, and yet we can't do anything about our past. And then we take our past and we bring it into the present, and we start stressing in this moment, not only about today, but we start stressing about tomorrow and we start worrying about the things that might possibly happen tomorrow that haven't even happened yet. And all of a sudden, we've taken all of that and brought it into our life. And today ends up being the tomorrow that we were worried about yesterday. And it jacks us all up. It messes us up in life. And Paul is trying to remind us that, man, it's important for us not to get stressed out, not to get worked up, not to get jacked up, not to get all out of place. In fact, this week as I was studying uh, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, they actually did a study on, on people visiting hospitals. And they said that their estimation is that up to 90% of all visits to emergency rooms are caused by stress-related incidences. In people's lives. Up to 90% of everybody that's going to the hospital is because of some stress-related incident. And what they're saying is, is, man, stress is having a huge impact on our society today. It's, it's jacking up our bodies. It's jacking up our minds. It's jacking up all different parts of our life. And when we're stressing out and we're anxious for things, you know what that does is that robs us of the joy that should be strengthening us. And so Paul realizes this and Paul goes, hey, listen, I'll save the best for last. I want to make sure that you guys know how to live a joy-filled life. And so I want to give you some keys to living that out, especially in a stress stressful and anxious society. And so if you're taking notes today, here's the, the first key that he tells you. He says, hey, listen, worry about nothing, which kind of sucks because that's nice to say, but hard to do. And then he goes like this in verse six. He says, do not be anxious about, what's that word right there? I, I didn't hear you. What was that word? No, no, no. I, didn't, I, I still didn't hear you. What was that word? Now, last time I checked, anything meant everything. Ever, that's right, everything. He says, don't be anxious about anything. He says, don't worry, don't stress out, don't be, get your, your, your panties in a wad. I don't know how else to say that. I don't, <laughs> sorry if that knickers in a twist. I don't like, it's going to reveal, it's going to talk about underwear somewhere. So I, I'll just, you can send that email to me. It's okay. Uh, and so I like, you talked about underwear in church. Yes, I did. Okay. Um, he's saying, listen, don't worry about anything. And worry is, is us paying in advance on a debt we don't owe. 
Like we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, but yet so many times we're stressed out and we're worried about what the potential could be, and it messes up our life. It makes us do things that we would never normally do under normal circumstances. But when we're stressed out, we make terrible decisions in stressed out situations. Anybody else made some terrible decisions in a stressed out situation? It's when you say things that you can't get back to. You're like, man, I would never normally say that. But I'm jacked up right now. And so, man, I'm saying things I shouldn't be saying. You'll you'll make decisions that hurt other people because you're stressed out in that moment. You'll, You'll... You'll do some stupid things. In fact, I'll never forget. I was 19 years old. Uh, Actually, I was 18 years old. And my parents for my senior trip uh, in in high school took me to Europe uh, to go around and see a lot of culture and stuff. They thought it was important for me to do that. And so they were staying longer in Europe. And so they sent me back by myself. And and we were flying back through through, uh, Paris de Gaulle to... um, Miami International, and it happened to be during the middle of hurricane season that we were flying back, and so I'm on this flight as an 18-year-old flying internationally by myself, uh, and we're, we're on this plane, and we're, we're about, I don't know, maybe an hour from Miami, and so uh, there happens that the captain comes on the, the radio and goes, hey, um, fasten your seatbelts, get ready, there's, there's going to be some turbulence up ahead, there's a storm in Miami, and so you better just prepare yourself, and so, you know, everybody's flown in storms, it's not very comfortable, it's not very much fun, but you know, like, hey, I, I'm safe, and, and, and so I, I fasten my seatbelt, I'm sitting next to some people in my row, and I'm in an exit row, so I'm like, I'm like, yes, I got room, and so I could be one of the first people off. Um, you know, that's always my thought whenever I'm on a plane is like, how do I save myself uh, rather than everybody else? And and so we're we're flying, and um, he comes back on the radio and he says, hey, listen, it's it's about to get really bad, and and so you know you you hear you hear people start to to get a little bit more worried, and then you know you start getting the bumps in the air, and when you're getting the bumps in the airplane, it never feels real good. It's like shake, it's like those violent shakes and stuff, and and you can look out your window and you can see like the storms below happening, like you can see the lightning happening and everything, which is really amazing from that view, but it creates a lot of lot of problems, and so we're going. And, and we're, we're flying along, and that's happening, and it's getting bumpier and bumpier and bumpier. And so at that point, people are starting to throw up and do all that kind of fun stuff. And, you know, people start to really love Jesus at that point. Um, have you ever noticed that? That, like, when it gets, when it gets dangerous or death-defying, like, everybody starts believing Jesus if you get me out of this. You know, like, and they start praying to a God that they've never prayed to in their entire life. And, and all of a sudden, we are flying along. And, and it's bumpy, and all of a sudden, like, we hear this loud boom, and all of a sudden, our plane just, like, kind of starts dropping. Like, almost like the roller coaster drop where you left your stomach about a thousand yards up in the air, and, and people are screaming, and they are freaking out, and the little oxygen masks fall out from the up top. If you've ever been on a flight when the oxygen masks fall out, you want to see people do irrational, crazy things. When oxygen masks fall out on an airplane, they don't keep their seatbelt on. They unbuckle it, and they start crawling over people, running for exits, cussing people out, punching people. It was pandelarium in that airplane. Like, man, they're, they're scrambling for the exits, and I'm just sitting back. I'm like, man, I'm not getting in the way. And all of a sudden, our flight kind of levels out, and the people that have unbuckled their seatbelts and, like, crawled over people, the captain comes on and is like, hey, everything's okay. We just hit some, some turbulence, and we had to maneuver around it. But the people that had crawled over and punched people to get out, like, they now had to do the walk of shame back to their seat.
Why? Because when you worry about things, you do stupid things. You do things that you wouldn't do in any other circumstance. And what Paul is trying to get us to do is he's trying to get us to realize that, man, there is not enough room in your mind for both worry and faith to happen. He's saying you're going to give room to one or the other. And what the reality is, is when we start worrying, what we're actually doing is we are worshiping our problem rather than trusting our God. Oh, somebody needs to hear that today. You're the person that's out there that's always talking about their problem. You know what you're doing? You are worshiping your problem. You're worshiping it. You're making it the God of your life. You're giving it all of your attention. You're giving it all of your devotion. You're looking to that problem rather than looking to your God. And that's why Jesus encouraged us in Matthew. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? He's saying, why is it, it's not even benefiting you when you do worry. Like it's doing, it's adding no value to your life. In fact, all it's doing is it's stressing you out. And then he says in verse 34, he says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I love what Corey Ten Boom, who was a Holocaust survivor, this is what she said. She says, worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its troubles. It empties today of its strength. Man, that is, that's so good right there. And Paul is going, listen, worry about nothing and so instead of worrying, what do you need to do? He's number two there, if you're taking notes, he says, pray about everything. Continuing on in verse six, he says, worry about nothing, and in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He says, I want you to make this shift. Instead of worrying about things, I want you to start praying about things. I want you to start putting your focus on prayer. And listen, if we prayed as much as we worried, we'd have a whole lot less to worry about. Because we'd be trusting God in those moments. And, and when we do pray, what he says is he says, man, make sure your prayers are marked by thanksgiving. Make sure you have this attitude of gratitude in that moment, which honestly seems so inappropriate. Like, I'm stressed out and I'm supposed to be thanking you that I'm stressed out. Like, if you think about that, but what Paul is trying to get us to do is, is he realizes that gratitude starts altering our perception of the situation. He says when we start thanking God for what he already has done, all of a sudden there's a mind shift that happens in us. And, and we start realizing that, well, if God already did that, he's going to do this. That's why he also says in 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, there is this promise that happens when you pray, and it's called that God will bring you peace. And I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed when you're in the middle of stressful circumstances and you have peace, it doesn't matter that it's stressful because there's something that supersedes that stress. That's why in verse 70 he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which basically means it ain't going to make no sense. He says, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that word guards there is such a powerful word. In fact, I want you to circle that in your notes because that word literally means to prevent a hostile takeover. Do you, do you realize that what God is saying right here? He says, listen, God's peace will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. It literally is saying that, man, when you shift your thoughts to God, when you start making that happen, he's going to present, prevent a hostile takeover of the enemy coming in and changing your mindset. And that anxiety and that stress happens in our life when we think we have everything figured out. And that's why Paul is telling us, man, no, 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 don't try to figure everything out. Just turn to God. Turn to God and present those things to him. Trust him in those moments. Because the one who has it all figured out is him. And we need to trust him there. And as our attention is focused on God, he's, he's like, here's what you need to do now. Number three is you need to think about the right things. You need to think about the right things. Continuing on in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Here's what I know. If you want God to protect your mind, you got to think about the right things. See, if you give a key to the back door of your mind, to the enemy, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to go in there like a Trojan horse, and he's going to sabotage your entire thinking. And you're going to wonder, why are my prayers not working? But they are working. The problem is, is that you're fixing your mind on the wrong things. See, we want God to guard our hearts and minds, but you're thinking about negative things. You're thinking about dark things. You're thinking about all the perversion and wondering why you aren't experiencing this tranquility and this peace that God promises. And here's why. You can go to the gym and you can pay a personal trainer to train you every single day. But when you go home, if you don't change your diet and you're eating Krispy Kreme every day, it doesn't matter how many hours you put in your gym because you can't outrun a bad diet. The same thing is true in your mind. You can make every prayer you want to God, but if you're going home and you're thinking negative thoughts and you're getting perversion in your mind, it's always going to corrupt all that good you did. And so Paul says, man, you're going to change your mindset because your mindset is going to dictate so much of you. In fact, Proverbs tells us, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And what that basically means is what gets stuck in your head is going to get stuck in your life. So you keep thinking all those things, you know what's going to happen? All those things are going to get stuck in your life. And he's saying, don't sabotage the prayers that you're praying. You have to trust God and think on the things that are lovely and pure. And so we have to make a choice when anxiety and stress and worry comes upon us. Are we going to feed that thing? Are we going to feed those fears? Or are we going to fight those fears? What are we going to do in those moments? And for a lot of us, what that means is, is I think that that means that we can't listen to uh, ourselves sometimes. Because a lot of times we have a, we have a tendency to be... Uh, kind of the glass is, is half empty kind of people. And so sometimes we'll start listening to ourselves and we naturally go towards a negative bent. And it's really easy for us just to listen to the perversion that's naturally in our minds. And sometimes we got to start to speak to ourselves. We got to start to speak to our situation. And, and we can't listen to ourselves because sometimes we are our worst critic. Anybody else out there like that? I'm like my worst critic. Like I will beat myself. Like nobody else has beat me up, but I'm beating myself up. 
Like I'm killing myself in my own negative stinking thinking. And, and I've just realized that critics don't help anything. Critics contribute nothing to this world. That's why I hate Stephen A. Smith from Sports Center. It's a critic. They contribute nothing. Listen, criticism is easy, and any single person can do it. I mean, what do they do? They, they look at somebody's accomplishments, and they pass evaluations on them, right? That's what Ratatouille taught me. You know what we need to be for ourselves? We need to be a coach. We start talking about the possibilities of what God can do. Start encouraging those things. Because what does a coach do? He motivates, he encourages, he builds you up. You need to start being a coach for yourself and believing the best and looking at what is possible. Don't think about what could go wrong. Start thinking about what could go right in your situation. And so Paul says, man, you've got to change your thinking. And then number four, you've got to be content with my things. You've got to be content with my things. In verse 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That word learned there, it's this idea that none of us, none of us can say like, oh, well, I just, I just don't have that gift. No, he's saying, listen, that's something that all of us can achieve in life. We can all learn. We can all adapt. We can all become content in our life. It's a behavior that is learned. It's not a natural behavior. It's something that we can acquire in our life if we're willing to pursue it. And then in verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He's saying, listen, when things are not going well, the reality is, is, is how are you going to respond in that situation? And the secret is, is when we learn, which, which when we learn contentment, that is the place that's going to give us joy. Because a lot of us, we are basing our joy based on the circumstances that are happening externally. And Paul was saying, man, it all goes back to an internal thing. It goes back to this relationship with Jesus. It isn't about acquiring more or having more in your life. It's about learning that you already have everything in life. That's why he says in Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. And what he's saying is, is he's saying the secret to having it all in life is believing you already do. Because you do have it all when you already have Jesus in your life. You have everything you need. Your identity isn't going to come from what you acquire or what you have, but who you serve in your life. It's going to come from that relationship. See, joy isn't going to come from possessions or things. It never comes from any of those things. But you can have those things in life. And what happens is, is if we're not careful, we get into this situation where we'll say, you know what, I'll be happy when dot, dot, dot. I'll be happy when I find the right man. I'll be happy when I get a bigger house. I'll be happy when, and the list goes on and on and on. And the reality is, is when we get into that thing, we're, we're living out of this place of happiness because happiness always requires, requires all of us to have just a little bit more. You know, they've, they've asked wealthy people, like, when is enough enough? And they always say, when I just get a little bit more. 
And Paul's saying, listen, more doesn't bring joy to your life. You can have more, but it doesn't have to rule your life. But if it's ruling your life, no more that you get is ever going to bring you what you're looking for. Because those things never satisfy. Saying, man, we got to learn to be content with where we are and what we have. Learn to be faithful in our season. And faithfulness in that season is going to lead to fruitfulness in your life. Instead of striving for the next big thing, we need to learn to be faithful in this thing. And be content in this season. And in that we'll find the truest and most fulfilling joy. Because when we learn to be faithful with where we are, then it's easy to do number five, which is to trust God in all things. It's easy to trust him in all things. Because verse 13 says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. See, when you start to give God your weaknesses, what God replaces that with is his strength. When we start to trust him, we start to realize, this, realize in our life that worrying changes nothing, but trusting God changes everything in life. Changes every single thing in our life. In fact, verse 19 says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And I've just learned in my life, when you have Jesus, you have every single thing you need. You have everything you need. And a lot of you think, well, well, I have Jesus in my situation. I, 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 don't, I don't feel that way. Well, let me explain, because this is how you feel that way. I'll tell you our story, because many of you have heard it in the fact that You've heard that Shayla and I, we can't have kids. What you haven't heard is what happened to us when we found out we couldn't have kids. What we did in that moment. See, we were at a doctor's office and they told us we'll, we'll never have kids after surgeries and all kinds of crazy things that they said. This will work and this will work and this will work and nothing worked. And I remember walking out of that doctor's office and before we ever walked in, we, we, we made this agreement it was the hardest agreement that Shayla and I ever made with one another and with God. We said, God, no matter what, what the outcome of this situation is, no matter what the news is here, when we get back in our car, we're going to worship you anyways. It's easy to say before you get news. It's easy to say, I'm going to trust when everything's okay. But when the crap hits the proverbial fan of life and it's spread all over your life, what do you do in those moments? I remember walking out of that doctor's office and, 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 and sitting in our car. just sitting out front, just, just almost paralyzed in the moment. Shocked more than anything. Like, and I remember looking over at Shayla and tears are coming down her face. And she looks at me and tears are coming down my face. I 
remember we turned on the car. And I don't even know what the name of the song is. I just know it's song number six on this CD. Because it was back in the day when we still used CDs. And we just cranked up our radio and right there in the parking lot. Bawling our eyes out, we worship God with everything that we had. Said, God, I don't understand. God, I don't comprehend. God, it doesn't make any sense. But God, I choose to trust you in all things. And let me tell you that even though we were hurting inside, there was a peace that was palatable in that car. There was a joy that was still evident in our lives. Even though everybody else would look at our lives and see death. See, that kind of peace and that kind of joy doesn't come through circumstances. It comes through a relationship. It comes from something that's so much bigger than your problems. It comes from the the creator of the universe. God himself and his son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit that can fill your life. Some of you out there, you're trying to control all of those things. You're not content with your things, and you're worrying about things. And, and God's saying, man, today is the day that you're, you just got to surrender. You got to let go of all your ideals and all of those things and go, God, I'm going to trust you in all things. And even though everything might not be perfect, my life is not perfect, which I'm pretty sure you're aware of at this point. Man, I've got something that is so much better than a perfect life. Man, I've got joy and I've got peace that surpasses every other person that's walking around out there understanding. They don't get it. They can't receive it because they don't know Him. But today, you can. Not talking about rules or religion. I'm talking about a relationship with the creator of the universe. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're in here today and you need to make a decision to follow this God that will fill your lives with joy and with peace that surpasses all understanding. Maybe maybe you've experienced that in the past and you've ran from that and you've searched for other things and today's the day you need to come back to them. Maybe today's the first day you ever need to make a decision. If that's you out here on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to be really bold with every head bowed and every eye closed to raise your hand. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hands if you need to make a decision for Jesus. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Pastor Steve, would you lead them?